This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, COP27 is taking place in Egypt for the next two weeks in Sharm el-Sheikh. It's a very important conference. COP26 took place in Britain and probably the most important of all the COP meetings produced the Paris Agreement seven years ago now since the major countries in the world, all countries in the world, made commitments on climate change to find out how well those commitments have been met. Uh, we're joined now by Kirsty Gogan. Kirsty is a founder and managing partner of Terra Praxis. She's an advisor to governments, industry, academic networks and NGOs on how to deal with climate change. And she serves on the board of Nuclear Innovation Alliance, as well as Voices for Nuclear, because she and Terra Praxis believe that nuclear has a role, particularly a role in decarbonizing coal plants. She's at the conference now, and Kirsty, thank you very much for joining us. I just have one alarming fact here in front of me, which you may confirm or not. In the past eight years... The world is on track for, has been on track for the eight warmest years on record, fueled by ever rising greenhouse gas concentrations and accumulated heat. The source for that is the World Meteorological Association. How accurate is that? And what's the significance of it for our survival? Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me on, Eamon. Um, and, you know, we can trust what the World Meteorological Organization tells us on this. This is the, you know, absolute gold standard. And it's very unlike a, you know, conservative, conservative with a small c, kind of analytical science-based organization to make these kinds of really quite alarming, as you say, very alarming statements. And, you know, you can only conclude that they would do that because we should be alarmed about the, what they're finding, what the science is telling us. You know, we're not making a dent in the upward trajectory of emissions. And the outcome of that is, you know, very, very serious indeed. 
And it's becoming obvious to all of us now what might be called telltale signs of the impact of climate change. They're more dramatic now. Sea levels are rising. The heat waves that we have, the appalling floods that people see. Living in Ireland, living even in Western Europe, we don't see the worst of it, but we will see the worst of it eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us now have first-hand experience, you know, it, ranging from T-shirt weather at Halloween to, you know, as you say, these really devastating floods that we saw in Europe last year. And, you know, the, um, the we've seen, you know, huge disruption in London just even in the last week as a result of incredibly torrential downpours of rain. And, yes. you know, so even in wealthy countries in Europe, the United States, in Canada, um, Australia, um, we're not insulated from the effects of these climate impacts. And it's, it's going to be the, mo- the poorest, the most vulnerable people in our societies that will be impacted the most. And then obviously, you know, the very extreme climate impacts that are being experienced in the developing world where people are, you know, have much less resilient infrastructure to cope with those you know, extremes of heat and storms and drought and torrential rain and flooding, you know, those people are much more exposed today. Um, as we saw, for example, in Bangladesh earlier this year, horrific scenes that, you know, are happening now. This climate change isn't something that's happening in the future. The climate has already changed. Yes. And now COP, uh, COP stands for the Conference of the Parties. It's a United Nations initiative What was so important about the Paris Agreement in terms of targets that were set? Yeah, the Paris Agreement was meant to be the moment when, you know, the world's, you know, countries would unite around a common target and each one of those countries would make what are called nationally determined contributions, NDCs, to reduce their own carbon emissions um, against this, against these targets. Now, the target that was set at Paris was to limit warming to 1.5 degrees yes. of warming. Now, we've already passed one degree, and we're already experiencing, as we've just been discussing, you know, impacts everywhere, all around the world. I mean, look at a look at a map of the heat map of the of the globe just for October, and you'll see extreme heat everywhere in the world, which means the ice is melting faster which means a much greater chance of tipping points and sea level rise, you know, really, really severe consequences. So immediately after the Paris Agreement, when the world was celebrating having arrived at this great ambition to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees, which is the limit, by the way, that scientists tell us will be, you know, the, the lowest damage caused um, that would be achievable, um, within the timescales that we're talking about, immediately after we set that target, guess what happened? Emissions carried on rising, and they've continued rising ever since. Yes, and one of the first things President Trump did when he became the President of the United States is he withdrew the United States from the Paris Agreement. So you have that kind of skepticism uh, from the most powerful nation on earth, uh, really. And I have in front of me figures that show that sometime in this century, which is we're, we're well into now, 
global warming will reach 2.5 degrees this century. And that is curtains, isn't it? For And for young people in particular, yeah. um, this is a matter of extreme urgency. The question, uh, I, I, I want to ask you about your own view and your own expertise in the use of nuclear power to stop the use of fossil fuels and stuff like that. But before I ask you about that, the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak uh, announced... Well, amen. Yes. Can I just quickly say something about the Trump thing? Because Do you mind? Yes, if I just... no, not at all. Well, so, thanks. So, you know, it's, it's, it is possible to be like, I'm sitting here at this COP, it's the 27th one that they've had. And we've just been talking about how we're making almost no progress on emissions reduction. So in some ways, you can understand the skepticism that these targets setting and yes. conferences really make any difference at all. Um, and actually, I, you know, the ironic thing, and, you know, Donald Trump wouldn't like wouldn't be interested in this or, or like it. But America is one of the countries that has made the largest overall absolute reduction in emissions in a 15 year, in the last 15 years by moving from coal to gas. Right. That, and coal is like, you know, three times more carbon intensive than gas. And, you know, so that's, that's something that we should be paying attention to and celebrating because ultimately the only thing that really matters here is the carbon intensity of our energy system. And this is where I'm sort of getting back to your, you know, your question about, you know, well, about nuclear energy, because one of the things that has been a feature of the COP and climate discussions and the broader climate discourse for a long time has been a big focus on, on renewable energy and deploying renewable energy. And that's great. And we absolutely should be doing that. And we're getting better at it. The cost of solar is going down and, cost of wind is going down and so on. But just those two technologies on their own are really not going to get us all the way to zero. And the thing that we really have to pay attention to is rather than deployment of a, my pet technology, it should be what's the carbon intensity reduction of the energy system that we'll achieve. And if that means moving from coal to gas, then, you know, I'll take it. Yes. Now, uh, as somebody steeped in this and an expert respected worldwide, I want to ask you about Britain, your home country. Uh, the Prime Minister said he wasn't going to go to COP. A pressure came on. People were alarmed at his skepticism or indifference or complacency. And he changed his mind and he's there now. But his predecessor, Liz Truss, when she was Prime Minister for the brief period she was Prime Minister, she announced that in response to the energy crisis that Europe is suffering, she was going to drill in a hundred new places in the North Sea for oil. And when it was pointed out to her, this was alarming and completely contrary to what yeah. was environmentally sound. She said she didn't care. She had yeah. to look after the here and now. Isn't that the problem when a major country like Britain takes that attitude. Yeah, well, I mean, she didn't last very long as no, a no. for all sorts of good reasons. And <laughs> <laughs> but there is a risk that, you know, this, um, you know, it, that there's an opportunity for politicians on the right, like we're seeing at the moment in the, in the conservative government to exploit 
um, a financial crisis and a cost of living crisis yes. and an energy crisis and use that as an opportunity um, to, uh, to, to pursue a larger mission and in, that they might have, like continuing to exploit fossil fuels, for example. Um, and honestly, there is just no excuse for it in, in a country like the UK where we have, you know, abundant alternative clean energy sources and we've got the skills and the capability and the regulatory frameworks and frankly the capital to be able to invest and rapidly build out a clean energy system without any need to go and you know drill for more oil and gas um the in in africa on the other hand in african countries um you know one, one of the noticeable features of the discussion here so far at COP27 is African countries saying, why shouldn't we exploit our fossil fuel resources yes. um, in order to build up our resilience to these climate impacts and our energy system that they really, really badly need? When the Chinese speak about this, uh, firstly, are they at the conference? Secondly, they have massive pollution problems in China. They would have the ability to make a huge contribution, but they also have their economic crisis at the uh, an economic crisis at the moment. Uh, can I put it to you this way, Kirsty? Mm -hmm. An Irish farmer would want to burn some turf. Now, we Ireland has a fairly good record, and he this is against the law. At the same time, that Irish farmer can look around the world and see the most appalling and fragrant breaches of previous agreements. How can we regulate this? How can we convince somebody who's in a very small way in business uh, mm -hmm. when the big players, the Donald Trumps, the Chinese government, and even the UK are not really committed or don't appear to be committed. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a, there's something that we sometimes say, which is that there's no, there is no st climate strategy without climate justice at its heart. And, you know, one of the key themes at this, at this COP as well, and actually, you know, you asked about China and whether they're at the COP. My understanding is that, that China has got a presence here at the COP. And one of the first things that they're, calling for is, is loss and damage recognition. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is because, you know, in Ireland, in the UK, in, you know, in the US, in many countries um, where, you know, the prosperity of those nations has been built on the, you know, energy yes. um, that has been supplied um, by, you know, skilled, diligent, hardworking people for decades, you know, we can't just say, thank you very much, goodbye, off you go. Off you go. We have to really recognize that, they, that, we, that there is a need for an equitable transition for all of our communities, including for parts of our economy um, that, you know, need support to enable a, a transition to clean alternatives. And that's really at the heart of our repowering coal program for example yes which is the um which is a proposal to replace the coal boilers essentially um with a new heat source like a small modular reactor which could be co-located with the existing coal plant enabling the plant to continue operating without emissions 
but continuing also to support the jobs and the socioeconomic benefits associated with those plants and continue providing, you know, energy, importantly, to the wider economy um, and with a very similar footprint to the existing plant. So we see that as being, you know, good for the environment and also good for the, you know, the economy for which we need a lot of clean, reliable and affordable energy. But importantly, it's also really good for those communities to, you know, facing an uncertain future, to be able to know that they'll still have jobs and they'll still have, um, you know, a, uh, an, a local economy. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Isn't it true that China is heavily reliant on coal for energy? Yeah, very much. And very much. how do we engage with them and persuade them? Is it only, well, is it only when, because when you look at the figures for the last eight years, for example, uh, when you look at that 1.5 target and you, and you consider that sometime in this century, and we're nearly a quarter of the way through the century now, the 1.5 is going to be 2.5, which is deemed to be catastrophic for everybody. Yeah. Well, so even that, even that prediction for the 2.5 degrees is, is probably very, very conservative, very yeah, um, on the low underestimating, side yes. really, because it doesn't take into account energy growth. And that's one of the things that we've seen driving emissions in China. And actually, the reason that all those coal plants, you know, hundreds of gigawatts of coal has been built, you know, just very recently in China is, is to support, um, you know, the modernization of, of that country and give people access to energy. So instead of burning fuels in their homes, people are, you know, have the same kind of access to electricity and for industrial uses. 
So it's absolutely the foundation of our kind of modern quality of life. And those predictions of 2.5 degrees assume that billions of people in Africa will remain without any access to electricity. And I, I think that that's firstly unlikely, but also, you know, not something we should be aspiring to. It's, it's also unethical. So the question is, where will the energy come from? And, you know, China will, um, China is very good at mobilizing, you know, vast resources yes. very quickly and very effectively. One of the things that we hope, actually, with our repowering coal program, which is you know developing this very fast, low-cost, repeatable system that can be deployed over and over again, really quickly and easily, for coal plants all over the world to be converted to this emissions-free alternative, is that China will just copy it and do it much more <laughs> probably yes. do it much more quickly than we ever could, if, you know. Um, yeah. Let me ask you about uh, Elon Musk and Tesla the electric car, given the contribution that motor cars and diesel cars make uh, to a global warming, how significant is it? And how much encouragement can you take, Kirsty, knowing that all the things you do know, that we should be able to throw away these old cars and all drive electric cars in the foreseeable future? Um, I mean, if anyone who's ever been in an electric car, you, you know that they're wonderful, quiet and clean and fast. And um, But they are quite expensive. And, yes. Um, you know, I think that it, it, they certainly will, you know, increasingly gain market share. I think there's an aspiration for, for electric vehicles to have about a 7% global market share by, by 2035. Uh, that, may, that may be a little out of date now, but it gives you a sense of, you know, the fact that there's still going to be another 93% of our cars are going to be running on fossil right. fuels. <laughs> so uh, well, you have been doing this for a long time now. You're an advisor to the British government. You've talked to these uh, major politicians. How personally troubled are you by the situation the world is facing right now and in particular the failure to respond with unanimity on the fight to make it a battle where Donald Trump or whoever is in power in China uh, and all the major powers in the world agree we have to do this or is it the case that there's so much that has to be done and agreed, it's almost impossible to reach consensus? Yeah, um, I, I guess it would be um, it would be unrealistic to try to aspire to some real to to real consensus. But yes. we do need leadership, and yes. unfortunately, you know what we're seeing in the world today with all of the instability and the sort of geopolitical conflict around access to resources um not just access to you know obviously oil and gas are huge drivers of this instability that we're seeing now but yes. other resources as well that will be necessary for the clean energy transition i'm thinking of copper and lithium you know those critical minerals that are um you know it just dis distributed unevenly around the world and 
we're going to see a lot more of this kind of instability. This is actually the thing that scares me the most about climate, that that the more stressed we are with, you know, increasing amounts of immigration, water stress, food stress. Poverty. Poverty. Yes. You know, constantly being hit by not just one crisis, yes. but multiple crises at a time. It, it, that that it, those are the conditions that will sow further division and further conflict throughout the world. So yeah. we have to sort of anticipate that these will be the consequences of wor- a worsening climate. And in my view, I do remain optimistic that, well, you know, optimism isn't quite what's needed, but, you know, certainly d- determined and motivated to continue pursuing the the. Um, solutions that can actually achieve the scale within the time scales of carbon emissions reduction that we need. That's the thing that we have to be, you know, ruthlessly focused on is what is going to drive down the emissions, what will face the least amount of political opposition um, and public, you know, and gain public support. And those are the, the, the tools that we should be focused on. Yeah, I'm looking at a statistic or a fact uh, about the tipping points. Some glaciers in the Alps now, the tipping point has been passed. It's too late to save them and to prevent them adding to rising sea levels. Uh, In Greenland, the ice sheet lost mass for the 26th consecutive year, and it rained rather than snowed for the Mm. first time in September. The point I, I want to put to you, Kirsty, is this. In terms of the catastrophic damage being done to the earth, isn't it the case that by the time we realize something is has gone badly wrong, we're too late mm. to do anything about it? In other words, we've reached a tipping point, passed the tipping point, and we're in deep trouble. Mm. Yeah. Is that, is that <laughs> uh, a reasonable... It's definitely a good description of what hum, you know, what us poor humans yeah. <laughs> would <laughs> would be prone to doing. I mean, if you look at um, you know the COVID as an as an analogy, yes. and I may have mentioned this to you before, but one of the learnings for me was how quickly we normalised something that would have been imaginable just a short time before. You know, yes. wearing masks, social distancing, you know, locking down in our houses. So many, so many huge upheavals and changes to our lives that we we very quickly normalized as a society. And that's the thing that worries me about about the changes that are happening to our climate around us, that, you know, we may not wake up in time to realize how serious things are getting. However, you know, with the COVID emergency, we, we treated it like it was an emergency. We acted like it was, and we collapsed the development of the vaccine from 10 years that it would usually take to 10 months and that was, you know, not through a, you know, all of the global governments in the world necessarily needing to agree with each other, but it, it did require coordination, leadership, investment, and a, a focus on solving the big problem. And I feel as though we could mobilize communities of, of scientists and technologists and policymakers and investors around the world you know, with that same kind of strategic intent. And that's that's really very much what, what I'm here to try and do at COP is to find those people and, you know, work with them and coordinate the resources that we need 
to respond to this emergency that we're in. Now, the question of what people can do, what ordinary voters can do, in your experience, particularly in the UK, are there any votes in being a voice for green or not? In other words, if we punish, do we punish, should we punish politicians who do not meet the commitments they will likely make at the conference you're at in Egypt at the moment? If you don't meet your targets, the voters will take that into account. Is that one way, particularly the young voters, is that one way of making progress and forcing political leaders to take this more seriously than they are doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, in the UK at the moment, we have a, um, uh, we have a, a, a quite a d- depressing um, populist. Yes. Um, Tory a, government. A sort of absence of talent. <laughs> yeah. Tory you government, have, you frankly. Have one, one green MP. Yeah, one green in the House of Commons of six hundred and fifty. But but look how quickly the the pendulum could swing. You know, Biden, President Biden in the U.S. managed to pass a one trillion dollar yes inflate. He called it the Inflation Reduction Act, but it's really a climate bill. That that is unprecedented level of investment that the U.S. government is going to make in uh, manufacturing and um, skills and supply chains and capabilities. He's going to build the the new, you know, I don't want to be sort of going into hyperbole, but it's going to be a green industrial revolution that will happen as a result of the scale of that investment in the US. And that will help to revitalize um, industries and economies and communities all over the United States that have been in decline for a long time. And really create, I think, a strong sense of optimism and, you know, an empowered economy. Um, and I think, you know, Europe is watching what's happening over in the US and realizing yes. that that's the direction of travel that we're going to get left behind if we're not making those kinds of investments, real serious investments in building the new energy economy. Um, and that kind of stimulus does win votes. Frankly, you know, that's that kind of investment, um, you know, does create jobs and it does create, you know, it, it will help us to move out of the recession now that we're, we're moving into. Okay. Um, whether the UK government will be make, ready to make those kinds of decisions is remains to be seen. And, and whether Joe Biden gets rewarded for his Indeed, efforts. Indeed, at we're, the midterms. In the midterms <laughs> next Tuesday. We'll come back to you on that one. But just yeah. a final point, uh, Kirsty. And because what you're doing is the most important work in the world, really, other than doctors and nurses, because uh, you're in the business of preventing this catastrophe. If there's one thing the public should look for when the communique from COP27 arrives, what is that one thing, do you think? It's it's really going to be, it's going to, this is about loss and damage, that this COP is about the loss and damage that's already being suffered in the developing world that are most exposed to climate impacts already and also the least equipped to respond to them and protect their citizens. And that has ultimately been a, that's a situation that's been caused by 
you know, the developed world yes. that has, you know, issued the, the lion's share of historical emissions and therefore has a, you know, a responsibility that have, that they have acknowledged in the commitment at Paris to, you know, to give a hundred billion dollars of, of, of climate aid to the developing world, um, that hasn't yet been forthcoming. And the whole theme here in, uh, in Egypt is, okay, thank you for your pledges. It's time for some action. Yes. By which we mean, let's see that money. Thank you. Because, you know, we really need it. So there's going to be a strong, there's going to be a lot of pressure on, on the developed world to come through. Right. And start meeting those pledges, but there's also going to be an important pressure on the developed world to go much faster in in reducing emissions. Um, because if African countries were to exploit all of the gas reserves that they have in Africa for their own development and re- and raise the standard of living for everybody in Africa to an average level in the in Europe, which is about four thousand kilowatt hours per person. That would only still contribute just one percent of total emissions today. So that just gives you a sense yes. of the scale of of inequality here, and I think that's the thing to look for. How is that being addressed, and um, you know what commitments will, will we actually see getting made and then met? Okay, Kirsty, thank you very much for joining us from. Uh, Sharm El Sheikh, uh, Kirsty Gogan is founder and managing partner of Terra Praxis, an advisor to the British government, to industries, and indeed to uh, non-governmental organisations. Very grateful to Kirsty, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.